Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 252 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. One of our early major nectar flows comes in the form of the oilseed rape crops, sown widely by farmers across the UK. It brings with it a ready source of nectar and pollen for our bees, but also some challenges in terms of timing and extraction. Here's my take on a love-hate relationship some beekeepers have with this early season plant. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, welcome back to my podcast. It's been another topsy-turvy weather week, and still we've not been inside our hives to carry out even the quickest of checks. Checks rather than inspections, you understand. These are a quick look inside, maybe a fast frame swap, moving food from near the side wall of the brood box closer to the brood nest area. Inspections, frame by frame checks, will just have to wait. It's still too cold. Well, for the most part. So last week, we had sunshine and showers. Our neighbouring county, Suffolk, had the week's top temperature, I think, close on 18 degrees Celsius. Yet on that very same day, I was wrapped up in a t-shirt, shirt, sweater and bee suit trying to keep warm as I hefted and checked colonies in a chilly gale blowing down from the north. And it's more of the same for the next week. Well, at least I think it is. It seems to be so changeable at the moment. It is April now though, so we can at least say we're getting April showers. It doesn't help me with inspecting colonies though, and this time last year we were already inspecting hives. Again, a quick check on my photographs shows full brood boxes, inspections being carried out in the last week of March, and lots of drone cells, so we are getting close to that time. I guess we just have to be patient. There's still no real rush to inspect, no pressing need to start splitting colonies or in fact to carry out any other kind of manipulation. My main purpose for inspecting at this time of the year is simply to make sure that they're queen right, healthy and to begin the process of building up colonies ready for increasing colony numbers in May, hopefully. We do also mark and clip queens early in the spring, again not too early, but before colonies get too large so as to make it more tricky to spot an unmarked queen. Sometimes you spot them straight off, other times they just seem to hide away in the corners and never appear. The weather certainly was all over the place last week. We travelled to a couple of apiaries to check our bees and it couldn't have been more different. We're still hefting colonies. The difference now is we can switch from adding fondant to moving frames around within the brood box. Let me explain. Over the winter months, I really don't like taking the cover board or crown board off hives, not unless I really have to for some reason or other. Oxalic acid treatments, for instance. I hate even more the thought of cracking rock-hard propolised frames apart and disturbing the bees further by moving frames around. I much prefer adding fondant during those cold winter months. It's less stressful for the bees and me. It's less disruptive and, importantly, it's quicker. Lift the roof 
add a bag of fondant, replace the roof, job done. Now that we're moving into the slightly warmer weather of spring, we can change that process a little and at the same time complete a couple of other little jobs without getting too involved with the bees and exposing them to chilly temperatures at this critical time in their development. It's a simple task, but it can be the difference between a colony doing well or, worst case scenario, actually dying out just as the new season is about to begin. Let me explain. What I mean by rewinding a bit back to the apiary visits and the changing weather conditions is, as I mentioned, it was very chilly at the first apiary we visited. It's quite exposed and the cold north wind was blowing straight down my bee suit, as it were. That said, the bees were out flying. But as I've said before, with a growing brood nest, they need to maintain a warm cluster to keep the brood alive. So it wasn't a full on air traffic control nightmare with bees flying in and out, narrowly avoiding each other, more like a gentle crisscross of bees heading off to gather pollen, nectar and water. My task here was to heft colonies and make sure there were still live bees in the boxes. Nothing more really. Regretfully, there were a couple more casualties, so those hives went onto the back of the truck and have been brought back for spring cleaning. The point here is, it was far too cold to be opening boxes and shifting frames around. We did have some fondant, but all the bees that had survived the winter were big enough now to break cluster, move around and start using stores that might have been just a few weeks ago too far away for them to move to, hence the fondant. Fast forward an hour or two, we finished off, had some lunch and moved around to another apiary. We encountered a completely different climate, if only for a few minutes. I recorded a video showing the process of removing an eek, and if you get a chance to watch that video, just check out the number of bees flying around me at the start of the video. There were hundreds, if not thousands. The weather was one of those intermittent sunshine and showers kind of day. One minute it was grey and cold, the next the sun made an appearance, the temperature skyrocketed and the bees suddenly came out in force to forage. So here was my opportunity. Not only was I looking to remove an eek, but the heat in the sun allowed me to make a quick swap around of frames. Let me explain. These hives have been sold as overwintered stocks to another bee farmer. They're in commercial beehives and represent the last of my non-Langstroth equipment. I wanted to remove the eek and settle the bees back down into a single brood box prior to the hives being collected in a week or two. We have fed these bees something around four or five kilos of fondant in the past couple of months and I felt that they had enough stores now to allow me to remove the eek and prepare them for collection. And it's an interesting colony and a good example of why feeding fondant is a good thing. Once we got a clear spot in the cloudy skies, the temperature shot up and allowed me to get into the hive. Even though it was warmer, I wanted to get in and out as quickly as possible. And here's what I found. The first two or three frames had plenty of stores in them. Strange then that I was feeding fondant, you might think. Well, the next couple of frames were completely empty of food creating something of a barren patch between the brood nest area that occupied one side of the brood box and the food packed against the opposite side of the brood box. 
the potential for this colony to suffer from isolation starvation now seemed very real, and it was reassuring to know that I had made the right choice in what to do. Let's rewind. Remember, my intention here was simply to remove the eek and settle the coverboard back down onto the brood frames to prevent the colony building brace comb in that space and making a complete mess of it for the new owners. As the weather was fine and warm in that moment, I made the decision to check the outside frames and see what was going on. This in turn gave me an opportunity to move those empty frames to the side of the brood box, shifting the frames with food to the outside edge of the brood nest, shown by a fairly large patch of sealed brood. All of that took just a couple of minutes and the bees were settled back down without being unduly disturbed. Job done. For those beginner beekeepers listening, just to reiterate, I made no attempt to look for the queen. I made no attempt to look for eggs. Sealed worker brood was all I needed to confirm I had a laying queen in this hive. How do I know this? Well, without a queen laying eggs and without workers feeding young larvae and keeping them warm, there wouldn't be any sealed worker brood. Just think through the process and you'll gain an understanding of what's happening in your hive. It's still not so warm that we have the luxury of taking our time during inspections. Get in and get out quickly and disturb the bees as little as possible. We were at the first apiary site of the day not just to check on the bees but also to have a closer look at the oilseed rape plants to have a kind of guess as to when they would be flowering. That, also that we could plan how and when we would be getting the bees set up for the spring nectar flow. Remember, we're planning to double brood a lot of our colonies this year to make ready for increasing colony numbers for the summer and to replace those we've lost over the winter. Oilseed rape is such a tricky plant in some beekeepers' eyes, but we love it. A massive early nectar flow, heaps of pollen and... If you play your beekeeping cards right, a lovely honey that can be turned into a superb soft set product that spreads thickly on hot buttered toast. A word of warning though, don't use too much butter on your toast or the honey will slide straight off when you try to spread it. So what's the deal with oilseed rape? And it's all down to its predisposition of early granulation in the comb. That's what drives people crazy. And I can understand that if you haven't got the equipment to deal with it and end up with frame upon frame of solid honey. For us, if it granulates, it goes into the Appy Melter warming tank and gets melted out. So it's really quite simple. The thing about oilseed rape is there are so many varieties now that you almost don't know what you're going to get until it flowers and the tap either comes on in a gush or it sits there and dribbles out. Thankfully, we've always had a great spring crop off the plants. Long may it continue. This is due in part to the hybridisation and inbred lines that growers use from their seed merchants. Each one is an oilseed rape plant, but each variety is slightly different. It's a bit like our honeybee colonies. They're all honeybees, but each colony is slightly different in how it performs. I was doing a little research for today's podcast and found some really interesting data. Now before I go on, remember 
a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. But hey, I'm a qualified scientist, so what could go wrong? So just as a refresher, granulation in oilseed rape honey is mostly caused by the low fructose to glucose ratio, glucose being the catalyst at slightly lower temperatures to granulate quickly. It doesn't really matter what variety of oilseed rape plants your local farmer has planted, they're all going to have a similar nectar makeup in terms of fructose to glucose. In this scientific paper that I was reading for my research, what I did find interesting, and this I think is something to be aware of as beekeepers, is that not only did the amount of nectar vary greatly between varieties, but also the concentration of sugars was incredibly varied. And that may well be the reason that last year my bees favoured the hawthorn rather than the fields of oilseed rape that they were parked against. Maybe the farmer had a low nectar variety last year, and that was the reason. One of the other notable details in this particular report, and I'll post a link to it in the podcast notes as usual, is the high ratios of glucose to fructose that were also apparent in those varieties that produced lower levels of nectar compared to the higher levels of nectar in some other varieties. It didn't really matter if the plants produced lots of nectar or not. The glucose to fructose ratio was pretty consistent. In beekeeping terms, it means that whether you get lots of nectar from your local crop of oilseed rape or just a dribble, it's still going to cause you grief. How then can you limit the amount of pain that this crop gives you if in fact you fall into the camp of not really liking the stuff? Right now, we're seeing the first glimpse of yellow in our fields of OSR. Flowers are just starting to open in some locations, and this gives you, the beekeeper, a bit of a conundrum. Do you rush out and stick a queen excluder and super on your hives, or wait a while longer and risk the brood box becoming congested and see those lovely overwintered colonies swarm? Well, this could all be down to the variety of oilseed rape plants you have in your local area. Low nectar producing plants might give you a gentle start into the season, whereas high nectar producing plants might flood your brood box, filling every available cell and restricting the egg laying potential of your queen. If you know the farmer locally to you, it would be worth asking what variety they're growing and doing a little research. Interestingly, I did just that last week with the two major farms we have our bees on for crop pollination. Neither of them could tell me what variety they were growing. They said they would have to ask their suppliers. One of them at least knew it was a hybrid rather than an inbred line, so that's something I guess. I'm waiting to hear back from them, and once I know, I can carry out some more research to pinpoint what we might potentially have in terms of plant type. Luckily for me this year, we're waiting for all the colonies to build up so we can split them. That means I don't really have to worry about congestion in the brood box. Actually, I'm quite happy for the colonies to get a little cramped up for space. This will probably trigger a swarming process that we can use to increase the number of colonies we have and get back up to the numbers we want for the summer borage pollination. If you're not waiting for swarm cells, and what you'd really like is a super or two full of honey, I would consider this. Once the oilseed rape is flowering, pop on a queen excluder and a super of foundation. 
don't use your best drawn comb from last summer. It will only get ruined with granulated stores. Get that super foundation on and use it as a sacrificial box. Now remember, it will depend on the variety of oilseed rape you have locally, and beekeeping has so many variables, it's never going to work out for everyone all of the time. But that said, it might just save you having too many boxes of granulated honey to deal with. What you're really after is the peak flow of the oilseed rape, and that won't happen until it really starts to warm up. Right now, you'll get a little nectar in the super, the overnight temperatures will drop back, colonies will cluster around their ever bigger brood areas, and that will be the trigger that causes the glucose in the honey to granulate. If you give them foundation, they'll have to use some of that nectar as energy to produce the wax required to build comb. That will reduce the amount of nectar going into those cells. Once the peak flow hits, swap the foundation for drawn comb and watch them fill it up with honey. As long as the overnight temperatures at the time are high enough and your colony is strong enough, you should find frame upon frame of delicious oilseed rape honey. Take it off and extract immediately, then you can sit back and relax with a coffee and a nice piece of cake while your beekeeping buddies cut out frame upon frame of solid honey. Well, that's me done for another week. I'll catch up with you all again in a week's time. Don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. And for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet.